Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. Yeah, stand up. Let's uh, let's pray it in. Get our hearts and minds in a you know in, in a position to receive the seed to be sown by the Holy Spirit. Father God, we stand before you this morning, and we ask you to come in and bring your word into our souls that it would become it would come alive on the inside of each and every one of us. We position ourselves, we prepare our minds and our hearts to receive directly from you. Have your way this morning in each and every one of us. This is not something, Lord, that we want to do or desire to do out of compulsion or tradition or or just because it's what we're supposed to do. We do it, Lord, because you are alive, and we're asking you to help us to be alive in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, Lord told me a couple things for today. I'm actually really excited about what the Lord has for us. However, I'm not 100% sure if this is a one-part or two-part sermon because it depends on where we go. (laughs) He told me, take your time. Take your time on this. Set the table. I'm not one that usually cares about the setting of the table. I don't really need a fork. Just get me the food. Um, But I know there's some of you guys out there that like to look nice and pristine and presentation means something. So I just want to take my time. It's kind of like, uh, I remember when I first got this, uh, this like um, revelation in me was like you'd spend, uh, you know, hours and just, you know, meditating. You know, when I first started preaching the word, it, 90% of my time was in just like homework. You know, like they didn't even have the internet when I started preaching. So the Lord would like download a, a verse and it might take me an hour to find that verse. You know, now it's just like, there it is. You know, you just Google it and it shows up. But there's something in that prep time. There's something in that meditation time. And the Lord would download something in me so deep. Like, I remember the first time it happened, like, it was so like, it was just deeper than ever before. And the, and the word that he gave me was how much he loves his people. And I got up that next Sunday morning and I was so super pumped and excited and I did not set the table at all. And I was like, hey, guess what? God told me he loves you. And everyone was like, okay. Like we've never heard that one before. But there's something about, you know, positioning yourself, getting ready to allow the word to, to soak it in deeper and deeper and deeper because there's, if we get to it, there's essentially three truths that Paul shared in Romans chapter 6 that I want to convey to you. But it's, it's not something that you can get just up here. It's something that you've got to get deep down into your spirit. And if you get these three things... I know it's something that pastors always say, but it will change your life. If you get these three things deep down in, like the the real revelation of it, 
that not just like I understand this academically, I understand, like my mind understands what the word says. But if you get beyond that and get deep or let it, let it like permeate everything within, like every cell in your body to receive this, then you'll be able to actually get everything that God has for you. Does that make sense? So many times God shares something with us through his word, and we think that we have it. And there is a part of us that that we do have it. But then when we're tested in it or when it kind of comes out in our day-to-day living, it doesn't, proof's not there. And what I'm saying, the proof is in the pudding. And if we get that deep down in, we will get it. I I remember one time, you know, this is years ago. How old's Randy now? Randy's 34. Wow, my son is 34. That's ridiculous. Uh, It's just not right. I rebuke that chronological calendar. Uh, Anyway. Way back when he was in seventh grade, he was playing basketball. Seventh grade basketball, nothing like it. And uh, we're we're watching a game. You know, you're not really a parent until you're forced to go through a whole season of, like, some sort of a sport. Anyway, uh, we're watching them play, and, and I don't remember who they were playing against. But, you know, seventh grade basketball is not like college or NBA, it's, I mean, if, if there's six points scored in a half, that's a high scoring game right there. It's three baskets and we're getting to the end of this game and they were winning like, I don't know, 12 to nothing at the end of the game towards the end. And I remember the coach, coach for God bless him. He calls a timeout. And he brings, I'm in, the, I'm in the stands, and I'm watching from three or four bleachers up, and he's got all the kids, and he doesn't want to tell these seventh graders to let the other team score. But he's trying to, like, convey that message. And he says, he's like, listen, guys, I'm so proud of you guys. You've been playing really awesome defense. But really, at this point in the game, you really don't have to play such great defense. You know, and he's trying to, he's trying to like, just relax, just, you know, have a little fun, that type of a message. And, uh, you know, they go back out onto the court. The other team's got the ball and uh, there's a kid that gets the ball right here and the hoop's behind him. And it wasn't Randy, it was somebody else. And he just, he just like went like this. You know, go ahead. Like, there you go. And uh, I'm in the stands and I'm like, oh, oh. And I'm looking at Coach Fresina, and Coach Fresina's like, time out, he says. And there's, I think when I read the scriptures, there's so many times when, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it. And life happens, and I go, and I think God's up there going, time out. Moron, you just didn't get it. And there's so many, so many things like that. that when we, when we're reading the scriptures, and we think that we've got it, and then life takes place, and something happens, and we do something that's totally not, not even in the realm of what God was trying to say to us. 
and he calls a timeout. Somebody calling me? Oh, 911. I'm not kidding. I got to stop that, okay? <laughs> wow. SOS, emergency call. That reminds me of uh, when I was, I was working, the power went out in this building I was at, and, and I couldn't see a lick, and I'm, I'm down in the basement, and I'm trying to find the, uh, the panel to see what's going on, and I got, there's nothing I have, there, this is before I had a flashlight even on my phone, but I'm, I'm holding my phone up, and just the little glow, you know, I would go like this, and it would glow for, I don't know, 15 seconds, and it would go out, and I, I did it again, I did it again, finally it starts ringing, and I look, hello, did you call 911, sir? I'm like, no. <laughs> Evidently, I dialed 911, I was trying to figure out, just, just a little glow. Anyway. Why are you taking me down this path? Chris is giving me the look like, move it on. So in Romans chapter 6, Paul wrote this book. And uh, I, I learned something when I was studying this out this week. In my head, see, Romans is like a very uh, systematic theological book in which uh, Paul writes like particular spiritual truths. And if you, if you follow these truths, this is what I'm talking about. If you really get the, the real truth of the scriptures, it, it will like, it just changes everything. And in my mind, all these years, I thought that Paul wrote the book of Romans, the systematic theological truth book, and the people didn't receive it. And because the people didn't receive it, he decides, well, now I'm going to write Galatians. And it was a, it's like the same thing, only in, a, in an emotional way. Like Romans is very systematic and just theologically bang, 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 this truth, this truth, this truth. But Galatians is like, who has bewitched you? You know, let, let you be accursed if you believe another gospel other than the one that I'm preaching. And I thought he wrote that in response to people not believing Romans, but actually it's not true. He wrote Galatians first. Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament, and the very first one he wrote was the book of Galatians. And it was so super impassioned. It was like so emotionally driven. And it says in uh, Galatians chapter 1, there's some reasons for that. Like he writes this down. It says... Um, I'm not going to find it on the fly. Basically, it says, the revelation that I'm sharing with you was not given to me by flesh and blood. But I I I received this revelation from Jesus Christ himself. Paul had this tremendous Damascus Road conversion. Uh, His introduction to God was just miraculous. But after receiving this conversion, he goes off into Arabia for three years in which he says, I received this revelation from God himself for three years. And then after that, he substantiated it by meeting with um, Peter for 15 days. But he's so like on fire for God at this point in time. And and the, the point of it is that he received direct revelation from God himself. And he's so like enamored with what God had told him that he's like, 
He's just conveying to the world that I didn't receive this from man. I received it from God himself. And what he received was what um, Brock had already talked about, was just the gospel of Christ Jesus. And it was so radically different from the religion of the day. It was so different. And he spends the first five uh, chapters of, of Romans systematically talking about this revelation that he received from God himself. And it was so um, unique that they had never heard it before, that he begins, and basically what he's saying is he's explaining grace. I almost think that it's like he's explaining it for the first time, like this is the grace all this, all the whole world, all up to this point was like, you must do, do, do. And he writes it out, it's done, it's done, it's done. It's totally different. It was like, you have to do this in order to receive this. You have to do this in order to, he's like, Jesus already did it. Jesus already did it. Jesus already did it. You just have to believe in the one who did it already. And it was so vastly different that verse 1 of chapter 6 says, well, what, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, that's what he's saying. Like, if you really hear the gospel message, it's when you get done hearing it, it's like, well, then I could just do whatever I want to do. That's the first knee-jerk reaction to receiving the message of the cross that Paul had received not from man, not from another teacher, not because somebody had explained it to him other than God himself explained it to him. It's super powerful. But the three truths that I want to share that come out of Romans chapter 6 talks about you have to know these things. I think I'm just going to, re- I'm, I'm going to read you my... Uh, three items, like bulletproof items, and then we'll, we'll take it one by one. Fair enough? Does that sound good? Now, let me remind you that you can't just know this from the neck up. You've got to know it through and through. The first one is your identity has to be in Jesus. Your identity has to be in him. If your identity is in yourself, you will fail. Your identity has got to be in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we think as a church that this is like a new thing. Like this has been like every message, like it started maybe four years ago. Like every message that you would hear on YouTube, every message that you would hear um, from the churches that were like making a splash in this world was you've got to have your identity in Christ. But this was something that Paul said. From the very beginning. Second thing is, your new identity brings freedom from sin. Your new identity in Christ Jesus will free you up from all sin. Not just some sin, but all sin. And then the third thing that you've got to know. Is you're still a slave. But the end is not death, the end is life. We'll get there. Some of you are looking at me like Penny's like, "Amen," but I, the rest of you are looking at the rest of you are looking at Penny like, 
she's really weird. I don't, I don't really want to say amen if she's saying amen. She's one of those. All of religion up to this point was no, no, no. It's one of the first words little kids learn, right? No, no. Paul changed it to no, no, no. He changed the N-O, the K-N-O-W. If you know these things, then you'll have freedom. It's not about N-O spells no. It's about K-N-O-W spells L-I-F-E. That's what it means. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know? K-N-O-W. Don't you know this thing? I just want to pause right here before we talk about this identity thing. Because sometimes we just kind of read through stuff and, and, and not allow it to, we don't allow, I'm, I'm pausing because I want it to be deeper. In the first chapter of Second Peter, it says, "Grace and peace be grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge, in the knowing." And you think that that's just a greeting, or that's just something that Paul liked, or I mean Peter liked to say. But do you? How many of you want more grace in your life? How many of you want more peace in your life? You can't get there without knowing him. That's what it says. Grace and peace will actually be multiplied to you in the knowing. But it's not, the, it's not just the knowledge. Knowledge is the bigger word, but the shorter version is the first four letters. Five letters? Five letters. K-N-O-W. No, no, to know Jesus, to know him. It says... Do you not know? In other words, if you can get beyond this, just this idea of, oh, I can get away with something maybe if I have Jesus. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we, meaning you and I, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Baptism is symbolic. This is a real deal he's talking about. If you really know that you're dead, if you really know that when he died, you died, if you really deep down know that you can no longer live the way you think that you are supposed to be living, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. You've got to know this. You've got to know that you can't live your life on your own. You got to know that whatever you do in life means absolutely nothing unless you're doing it through him. If you don't live your life vicariously through Christ Jesus, then you're not really living life. You've got to connect yourself, partner yourself not with not not just with like
See, it's not like I get to be me and I add Jesus. No, I don't get to be me anymore. I get to be no longer me, but I'm going to be with him. I'm living my life through him. It's got to get deeper. A few years ago, I was playing tennis. Usually when I play tennis, it was about, it's about two-hour deal for me. Um, well, not, not anymore. It's like an hour and a half, maybe an hour. Like my body just like, I'm done. A few years ago, I was playing tennis. It was a couple, couple of hours in, and it was super close, super close match. And I always played doubles, you know, at this stage. When I was younger, I played singles, but playing doubles. I don't remember. I don't remember the um, who was playing. I don't remember like who my partner was. I just remember the conversation. And I think I, I don't even remember who won at this point in time. I'll just say that I lost because usually that's probably the case. So very close match. I remember super close. It was decided by just a couple of couple of points here or there. Not decided until the very end of the match. And it's over. I lost. I'm walking off the court. And either I said this or my partner said this. Man, that was terrible. We lost. The other team, man, it's a great day. It's awesome. The two teams experience the exact same thing for 99% of the time. The only difference was a couple of points towards the end that forced one team to win and the other team to lose. The losers were like, this was terrible. What a rotten day. The winners were like, what an awesome day. How come you guys are all looking? You guys are looking at me like I'm the only competitive guy in the sanctuary. Like... I remember being young, and if you're, if we used to watch like NFL, and if your team won, yep, might I'm a winner, you know. And if your team lost, literally, people would go into like a depression until Tuesday, right? And be like, you go to work Monday morning, how's it going? Shut up, life's terrible, you know. Somebody be wearing a, a shirt that was from the other team. Take that shirt off, you idiot. Like, get away from me. I don't want, I don't want you in my... Am I the only one that felt that, like, impassioned about that, that sort of thing? We all do that with many, many, many things. Not just NFL, not just tennis. If I could pick your thing, if you happen to, like, get a little bit lucky, life's great. If you happen to come out a little bit on the short end of the stick, life's terrible. And what I'm saying is just live your life through Christ Jesus because the victory has already been secured. It's already done. I, I'm not getting this through. I'm not, I'm not sure how I'm getting this. Your life needs to be through Jesus Christ, period. That's it. I see Dale sitting there. His mom passed away just the other day. And, and uh, his mom's in heaven. 
She's way, 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 way younger than Dale. It's the first time in her life that she's been younger than her son. She's now she spent this past weekend being able to run faster than Dale, jump higher than Dale, laugh more heartily than Dale. She's in eternal bliss. She's in paradise. She feels great. She is now actually able to walk in the victory that was secured for her 2,000 years ago. It's awesome. It's great. What's, uh, what's your mom's name? Pardon? Lois. Nobody's up there right now talking to Lois and saying, hey, um, April 4th, uh, 1991, I see here you lost that tennis match. <laughs> and, and uh, or, you know, hey, it says it's recorded here that um, February 5th, uh, 1981, uh, your NFL team lost the Super Bowl. She's not like wringing her hands and going, oh, why'd you bring that up? Trust me, she could care less. Not even a thought. We have to have that attitude now. We have to, like, live our lives now through the victory that's already been secured. People, uh, you know, I was, uh, I'm not even going to share that story. Never mind. Not, not worth it. Let's move on. That was the first knowing, okay? You have to know that your life is in him. Verse 6, knowing this, that your that our old man was crucified with him. The, the principle that Paul's trying to share, the principle that God is trying to share through Paul is that if you know this thing, you're free from sin. There's a freedom in this thing. Knowing this, if you know the freedom that you have, if you know that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives again. See, we don't really know this. We don't really know this. People that are addicted to anything don't know this. 
people that are struggling with sin don't know this. Struggling with any kind of sin. Struggling with unforgiveness. You don't know this thing. You don't know it. If you truly know it, then you'd be free from it. If you're not free from it, then you truly don't know it. And how do I know that? Because the Word says that. So there, there's a, I, about 95 years ago, I was sitting in a class at graduate school, getting a graduate degree in counseling. Some of you are looking at, at the math right now. I'm not 130. I'm just many, many years ago. And the uh, professor was talking about human behavior counseling degree. And he was talking about being able to quit smoking and Smoking is a big addiction. And uh, I'm talking about different methods that were out there at the time of how to quit smoking. And one one of the students in the class raised their hand and asked the professor, well, do you think, it was an actual real case study, do you think that this man will ever be able to be free from the addiction of smoking? And the professor said something that actually is so true with the Bible, so true with this passage. He says, when that man sees himself on the inside as being a non-smoker, then he'll be free. Then he won't smoke anymore. When you see yourself on the inside as being freed, completely free from sin, then you will be free from sin. See, we, we don't look at this right. We literally get angry with people that sin. If you get angry with someone that sins, then you don't understand this thing. Because they're enslaved to it. I was listening to a documentary. This guy was a serial killer, a murderer. And they, they, flashed, an inter, they flashed a point of the interview with this guy, and he was a Christian now. And he was talking about, oh, yeah, I'm good. And he said it in so many different ways. Oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm free. I'm good. And I actually got a little bit angry on the inside. I'm like, what? You're, you're good. What about the victims? What about the families? What do you mean you're good? He understood more about freedom than I did at the time because we get angry with someone that commits murder we should feel sorry for the person that commits murder because they're enslaved to the sin in which they committed. One spouse cheats on another spouse. We get mad at the spouse that cheated. Maybe we should feel sorry for the person that cheated, not the one that was cheated on. Because the person that, was, that actually committed the sin of adultery or there's something going on in their life that they became enslaved to that particular sin. They need to be freed up from that sin. Oh, you want me to go? You want me to go farther? Feel sorry for the pedophile? What? Can we do that? If we if we literally knew on the inside the addictions that. I I use the word addiction, but the sin that enslaved 
that person. Wow, it got really quiet in here. I'm just telling you right now, this is like, is this deep? Is this too deep? I read an article once. Let me just share. I'm going to stop at the end of point two because it's going to be late and you guys are going to start throwing tomatoes. But listen, um, I read an article, true story, about this brother and sister who were adopted. And they were, or no, I'm sorry. It's kind of like an adoption. They were kidnapped. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hello. Slightly different. They were kidnapped when they were little, when they were toddlers. So they actually didn't understand that. They just knew their kidnappers as mom and dad who took them out in the middle of the, the Midwest, somewhere out in the middle of the woods and, and secluded them from all society, secluded them from any kind of, not just people, but like the knowledge of people like no newspapers, no TV, nothing. Just totally withdrew them from the world and abused the, the, they were both abusive. The mom was just flat out crazy. I, some of you are looking at me like, well, yeah, all moms are crazy. But I mean, I mean like really crazy. And uh, the dad would execute the consequences as laid out by the mom. Take his belt and literally physically abuse these little kids that they had kidnapped. And the son, the brother, uh, realized that he could take the abuse better than his sister. So every time there was an issue, every time there was a problem, every time there was a situation in which a consequence needed to be enacted, uh, he would say he did it. And he would take a pretty noble, pretty noble little kid. And he grew up in that environment. And they were really intelligent. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. I read a whole article about this. Um, When they got to be older, I think they were late teens, they heard a train whistle in the distance, and they had asked their father, what is that? And he told them that it was a train. They didn't know what a train was. He tried to explain it to them, and they conspired with each other and realized that they could escape their late teens or early 20s at this point in time and in the middle of the night they fled to where they heard the whistle through the woods and actually caught a train and landed in California they stayed on it in on the train all the way to California and they somehow were able to secure some jobs and get an apartment and start fending for themselves and they lived together and it was one of the one of their birthdays, and in the apartment, there was one room that was totally, completely sealed off. The brother, who had taken the beatings for all those years for his sister, claimed that room and would refu- locked it up, refused to let her in, never, never to see that room. And they went out on one. It was one of their birthdays. They they went out for a birthday dinner, and some. Uh, some ladies came up and started flirting with the brother. They didn't know that it was brother and sister. They thought it, they were out on a date. They were just brother and sister. It wasn't a date. 
But they started flirting with the man, I think trying to tease the woman and went forth. And he sent the sister back to the apartment and he killed one of the women. True story. He came back to the apartment that night. And as the story unfolded, he had the best night's sleep that he had ever had. It's kind of weird, right? It seems like it'd be the opposite. Like even if you accidentally killed somebody, you would have a difficult time sleeping that night, right? See, the thing was, through all those beatings and all the abuse and all the experience, the, the sin, the sin that they were exposed to literally opened the doors for demonic activity in this man's life. And the demons would be screaming and yelling and talking, trying to get him to do stuff. And when he killed that woman that night, the demons left him alone. He did what they wanted him to do. And so they left him alone, and he got a, the best night sleep that he had ever gotten was that night. And he realized that he realized what was happening and he ended up killing more and more and more because that was the only time he would get any kind of peace was when he would kill someone. And he became a serial killer and as he got older, uh, his sister had no clue. She had no knowledge of what was going on. The police started figuring this out and they interviewed the sister and after interviewing the sister, they realized it was him and he ended up going to prison. He's spending his life, the rest of his life in prison. Not knowing or not having the background or the, uh, the history of the situation, you, and if, especially if you're one of the um, family members that suffered victim to this man's violence, you think, good, good. He needs to be in prison. But if you knew the whole story, if you could actually understand what he was coming through, you would be like, that man was enslaved. He needed to be freed. After he left, the, the sister was able to open up the door, and, and she saw the, all the demonic activity that was taking place in that particular bedroom. There was literal de demonic, uh, democratic, no, I'm sorry. Uh, there was, there was, that was really bad. Uh, stuff going on in that particular bedroom. And I think sometimes we, uh, we can see sin and get angered by it. And we should. But we should be angered at the demonic activity that allows that sin to take place. Not actually at the sinner themselves. Because we look at the sinner, the person committing the sin, and we think sometimes that, well, how dare they do that? And Paul is saying, don't you know that they're slave to that? And that when Jesus died, you were literally set free from that demonic activity in your life. You were literally set free from it. You're free now. All right, I'm going to share the last truth real quick because it just fits right. Look at verse 16. It's a very popular verse for me. I, I love this verse because it's so simple, yet it's so profound at the same time. He says, do you not know? This is the third knowing. Do you not know 
that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. That verse is saying that you're going to be a slave regardless. You're either going to be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you're going to be a slave to righteousness, which leads to life. You choose which slave are you going to be a slave to. Whom are you, who's going to be your master? Are you going to be a master to the one that actually will, actually will lead you to death? Or are you going to be a slave to the good master who will lead you to life? That's the difference. I'm sorry, I've got a wave of of emotion. Paul spent this time with God in three years, and he received this message of the gospel. He called it revelation in Galatians chapter 1. He got this revelation from God himself. And he so impassionately tried to convey that revelation in the book of Galatians. And I mean, even talking to the religious leaders of the day, he's like, if you believe, you'll be cursed if you believe what you believe. You're cursed. You can't be set free. You can't earn your way to freedom. You can't righteous. You can't be righteous enough to gain the freedom that require. The, the cost is too high. But there are certain things that you've got to know. And if you know this, if you know it, if you know it, if you know it, if you know it, then you'll be set free. It's free from sin. I just. My emotional response to this is that I just know, I just I know there's so many people alive today that will have that day of judgment, that judgment day at some point in time, and they think they're fine. They think they're fine. They think they're okay because they're a little less enslaved than somebody beside them. So many people that think that they might even think that they know Christ Jesus himself. Because they, I don't know, because they go to church or because you know, they said a particular prayer or something. And somebody else that met well said, okay, you're good, you're good. And they didn't really know. They, they thought they knew, but they didn't know. that The knowledge didn't get deeper. They didn't actually give their life. They didn't actually say, okay, I'm yours completely. I'm dead to myself. They went through life trying to climb that ladder of success, trying to be a little bit better than the person next to them, trying to gain hold of something that this earth can give them. When really only, only eternal things last forever. 
And we've got to know this so deep. And when we get the knowledge of really knowing Jesus, of really knowing who, then all this earthly crap is, actually he called it dung, right? Paul himself called it, that's just dung. I went after the crap of life and realized that it was dung compared to the knowledge of knowing Jesus. And there's so many times when people think, I read this account where this guy was uh, in prison for being a Christian. He was tortured and tortured and tortured. And, it, and when he was let go and he, he went to church and he said, churches are filled with two types of people. People that are Christians and people that think that they're Christians. People that are believers and people that think that they believe. And I'm just, I, I'm impassioned by the moment that there are so many people that think that they know. And God's calling a time out. He's like, time out. You didn't get it. And there's too many people that, not, that aren't showing up to the time out. There's too many people that are like, okay, I got it. Time out. You don't got it. And then they, do, they go get a drink. They go to the locker room. Dude, go to the bench and listen to the instruction from the Holy Spirit himself. That's what we got to do. We can't just like think that we're okay because we said a prayer. You don't give your five minutes to Jesus. You give your life to Jesus. You don't give your Sunday mornings to Jesus. You give everything to Jesus. Paul in his, in his way is like, don't you understand do you not understand that when you offer yourself to obey them as slaves, you become slaves to the one in whom you obey? Don't you not get that? In other words, do you not realize that when you tell a lie, do you not realize that when you gossip, do you not realize that when you do anything that is outside the realm of his righteousness, then you are literally offering yourself to be a slave, to be obedient to the devil himself. Do you not know this thing? Do you not know? It's not about whether you can get away with it or not get away with it. You can't. You can never. See, one of the things that, that Paul systematically approached in the first five chapters of Romans was to lay it all out in such a way of saying... You must understand that it's by his blood, that it's by his life, that it's by his cross, that it's by his performance. And their response was, well, then what do you mean? We could just sin all the more so that grace can abound? He's saying, no, you don't even know who you are. Your sin does not change his love for you, but it doesn't change the way he relates to you. It changes the way you relate to the devil himself. You are literally saying to the devil, I'm yours. To the point that at the beginning, you might be saying, I am going to like take the beating for my sister. And at the end, you're literally obeying the voices from hell itself. Do you not know this?
there's all sorts of YouTube videos out there right now about people that have, they're, they're talking about what the Bible says about hell or what uh, people have had different experiences. With. I can't even, I can't even watch them. I've gotten to the point in my life where I can't even watch them. I can't, I like, I'll, I'll see something about like scriptural. Like I cannot read a commentary about hell right now because there's so much deception that's out there that it's like, it's like grieving me. Like people are literally, I love the fact that Lois is like in heaven. I love that. But there's so many others that aren't there. You know how many people are going to say, here I am. Oh, Jesus. And he's going to say, depart from me, for I, I never knew you. Knew. Another form of knowledge. Another form of knowing. I just want us to understand the gravity of this whole thing that we call life, that we've got to know him deeper. There's so many, there's so many people running around after, after dumb there's so many people that think that like winning a tennis match is more important than eternity. Be kidding me? There's so many people that get depressed when their team doesn't win, and I have been one of them. I get it. I just I'm here. I just I sit, I feel it so deeply. I can't even. I can't. I don't have words to say what's going on. We've got we've all got to know him better, deeper, stronger, greater. Got to know him. Let's let's stand up. I got I'm sorry guys. This I understand. We got nursery workers that are praying right now that I'd be done. <laughs> yeah. Chris reminded me, so we're going to end this real quickly, but she reminded me that this is a great opportunity to come to the altar. So if you desire to come to the altar, We'll spend some extra time here. I'm going to conclude the service, but we'll spend some extra time. I just want to, like, if you want an impartation of this, then come on up. If you desire to, like, get that, in a couple of weeks we got this, like, evangelist coming in, coming in, and I don't know if you could really just label somebody one thing. I think it's I think it's actually a lot more than an evangelist. Well, that sounds like evangelist is not a good thing. But I just want to say that I don't want you guys to say, yeah, 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 we got an evangelist coming in and they want, they want us to bring people in. I don't care about Salt Church bringing people in. I care about people giving their lives, not just giving their lives by saying a prayer, but literally giving their lives to the Christ, to the one. Lord God, and all. Lord, I, I guess I'm 
that you inscribed through Paul's hand. And I think, wow, Paul is like, He's emotional for for his people. But it was really you. You're the one that's impassioned. Yelling at us. Calling that time out because you desire for us to know, to know, to know, to know deep down. And when we know that, Lord, unspeakable joy. We can experience that running and jumping and having full life even now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on up to the altar if you so desire. We would love to. I just want to pray with you. If you're not feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit to come to the altar, then feel free to be dismissed. But let's do so in an honorable way so that those that do come up to the altar can literally be ministered to by the Holy Spirit himself. Thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. We're grateful you spent this time with us, and we hope the message today has moved you. Please be sure to join us again next week for another episode of the Salt Church Podcast. God bless, and we'll see you next time.